That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jacob, here we are to talk about the Bible and to help yep. preachers, a preachers, and uh, our lay, lay people who are fans. But before we get to that, um, what's going on with you? I'm just doing fine, and it's exciting to um, do another summer episode of the same old song. So uh, it's really exciting. Um, <clears throat> I want to remind everybody that, um, yeah, there's uh, well, there's this wonderful ministry that we're a part of called Mockingbird Ministry, and um, they have had a wonderful, wonderful year. Yeah, and if you are not someone who has been a listener to Same Old Song for a long time, maybe you just think we exist out there in the ether. We're just two guys, just having two crazy, just two crazy guys. guys talking about the Lord and stuff. Uh, but we are part of a larger, great organization, a nonprofit called Mockingbird Ministries, which exists to communicate the gospel in fresh and down-to-earth ways. And there are literally millions of people who check out the website. There are thousands of people that download the podcast, uh, various podcasts, lots of podcasts. It's a really an, an empire, really, is what I'm trying to say. But it's an empire of love, <laughs> and it is totally and completely 100% funded by the generosity of people like you. So, That's right. you know how Wikipedia does we... that thing every year where they're like, throw us two bucks, <laughs> or your mm -hmm. college is like, give us a lot more than two bucks or whoever, but we're asking you if this has made a difference in your life to, you know, cough up a little bit of change, mm -hmm. throw us some Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, some of the other things that Mockingbird has done this year is they had a, I mean, we had a killer New York city conference where over 60% of the people were brand new. Uh, we did a packed out Orlando conference. Uh, they produced uh, the sickness and health issue, which is incredible. And, um, you know, and, uh, let me just tell you, we need your help. They've got a, a mini conference planned in Minneapolis for September 29th through the 30th, and uh, they're coming up with another 365-day devotional. Have you been asked to write for that, Aaron? No, I think I got blacklisted all the no, all neither the have I. Neither yet, have I. So anyway, but anyway, <laughs> but uh, and then uh, and then also uh, they're going to do a prayer book. So, but anyway, not a prayer but book. We're not like a prayer devotional because the Book of Common Prayer but exists. Let me just tell you, uh, as a mockingbirder, we uh, need to raise about four hundred eighty-five thousand dollars this give or year, take. and uh, we need your help. Yeah, give or take, maybe four ninety. <laughs> but we need your help to reach that goal. And so I want to encourage you to go to Embird and uh, think about making a gift today. So all your donations, of course, as always, are tax deductible. And there's an added bonus of just a tiny hint of self-righteousness, even though we know it doesn't really mean anything. You know, just hold on to that tight. Don't, no, don't do that. Yeah. That's a, that's a mortal sin. No, definitely give. Yeah. Ember.com. So give generously. Actually. And thank you for, thank you if you've already supported. I know many of you do. And, and by the way, if you become a monthly subscriber at any level, you automatically mm -hmm. get a copy of the Mockingbird magazine, which is beautiful, 
New Yorker can eat my shorts. Uh, it's a beautiful magazine, yeah. and it's uh, and you'll get you'll get it. I think four times a year. Yeah, and after an amazing plug like this, I'm reminded of our reading, our first reading from Exodus chapter 19, <laughs> verses two beautiful. through eight, and the people, the people answered with one voice as they moved to the Ember.com with their credit cards at hand and said, "Everything that Jacob and Aaron have spoken, we will do." And <laughs> so, um, but now we have chosen uh, the uh, the uh, the most dangerous of tracks, track two. It's <laughs> really the third year, rail so. of electionary. <laughs> That's right. It's dangerous. What could Don't go fall wrong? Off. No one knows. We're about to find out. <laughs> so, but um, our readings today are Exodus chapter 19, verses 2 through 8a. Don't you dare go to B. And uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. And finally, the gospel is Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, 10 through 8. And if you're lucky, your preach will hit on 9 through 23 as well. Yeah, those are the parenthetical verses, uh, and they're really good. So you might want to think about including them. But we'll, we'll I think they should be preached at every ordination service, but that's just me. Yeah, so, one of your uh, many come to, uh, strongly held opinions. Yeah, but nobody's ever invited me. So anyway, um, actually, except at Sarah Condon's, so, but I've never been invited anywhere else. We but, saw how that so, went, um, and that's why. I know, and they were like, never again. <laughs> Uh, you made everybody cry. <laughs> so anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> All right. So track two, which, as we've said before, is the slightly shorter option over the summer season. Mm-hmm. and It's the summertime it's, track. Yeah, it's the summer track. Uh, and it it is not going to be a chronological history through the people of Israel. It's going to be a little bit more thematic and jumping around a little bit. Uh, some more prophetic literature, etc. So this is Exodus, as Jake said, 19, 2 through 8a, and we have the Israelites journeying in the desert. So Exodus means they've taken that Exodus from Egypt. They were enslaved, and now they're making their way into the promised land that God has provided. And if you remember... Well, they're not there yet. They're not there yet. And this is the whole thing where... You know, Genesis 3, everything falls apart. God says, I'll put it back together and it'll be even better, but I'm going to send somebody to fix it. And we see that begins to take a little bit of shape in Genesis with Abraham, where we hear that there's going to be an offspring from Abraham that's going to bless everybody in the whole world and that there has to be a land and a people for that person to emerge out of into the world. Mm -hmm. And so they're on the way to get the land and to become the people and all that sort of stuff. So we're the, the, the people we have, the Israelites, we don't have the land, they're on the way. And God is now kind of making them into the kind of people that they're going to be. And he has given them the law. And uh, he reminds them of um, uh, who they are and what God has done for them. And it's this whole emphasis on if you obey my voice and you keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the people. So all you have to do is to obey. And the people respond, yeah. si se puede. This is, uh, this is actually, yeah, the prelude to the law. And, uh, and yes, thank you. He, That's what I meant to he say. He takes them out. It's the heartbeat. And, but what you begin to see is the very heartbeat of what we would call the Mosaic Covenant here. And, uh, and God takes them out. And he does what he does first is, is that he reminds them of everything he's already accomplished for them. You know, he uh, tells them, I brought you out of Egypt. I bore you up on eagle wings, and now I've brought you here 
to myself. I want to have a meeting with you. I want to be super close to you, and I'm going to make a covenant with you. And uh, and it's this very, very powerful, powerful thing in light of the deliverance, but the Lord, and if they would obey the Lord, what's going to be happening is they're going to be the treasured kingdom, and, and literally the language here is a, a nation of priests. Yeah. You know, like a nation that really literally makes atonement for the whole world. And that's the catch here. Um, these are the words that you speak to the Israelites. And what this is demanded is demand total perfection. This is what's the, what God, this is what God's, uh, your end of the bargain is, total perfection. And uh, the proper response when you're brought before God and his law um, is, uh, is uh, not, hey, we can do this. <laughs> But uh, Lord, have mercy upon us. Mm-hmm. You know, Lord, have mer- Christ, have mercy upon us. So I think what this particular passage, if you're going to preach on, is to illustrate, one, the important role that Israel would play in God's plan of redemption, um, all that God has done to make Israel a part of his plan of redemption, and then the proper response uh, to uh, what should happen when you come before God's law. And it's never like a two-way street, hey, I'm going to do it, but it's a one-way street, and it's, Lord, have mercy on me. And this is why... You know, uh, what God in Christ has done for us is so important. Yeah, and I think this is, yeah, that's exactly right. And if you're in an Episcopal setting or another setting that uses the Book of Common Prayer or a similar liturgy, you have this thing at the beginning where you, um, uh, at least at some, if you choose liturgically to include this, um, the summary of the law, it's in the right one service in in the Episcopal Prayer Book, uh, where you begin the service with the summary of the law, and the response is not everything the Lord has spoken we will do. The response is exactly uh, what you said, Jake. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Three times you ask for mercy after the law is read. And so um, this, however, captures a kind of a snapshot of what the, these people were like at that point. Uh, and what many people still are like. So don't fall into the trap if you are a preacher on the Sunday of thinking that you just need to say to your congregation, here God sets up the way the world works. If you obey God, everything will be great. Well, I mean, yes, that is true, but it ignores the fact that the Israelites don't do it, and really no one does it. Uh, There's one guy who does it, and we haven't met him yet at this point in the biblical story, um, or at least we don't know that we've met him yet. Uh, And the thing is, uh, these people have seen God do miracles that boggle the mind. The, The the ten plagues, the the Passover, the Exodus from Egypt, the, the Red Sea, the crushing of Pharaoh's army, which God has reminded all of them of, of that. And so, um, and yet they will not be able to keep the law. As, as, as soon as they get it, they will worship a golden calf. And it's just like every single chance they get, they will fall on their faces. And so, um, so, so you can, so you do a disservice to your people if you if you preach this out of context and you imagine that people can just do this on their own. So don't use this as a club to bludgeon your people into obedience and guilt trip them into coming to church more often or coming to your Wednesday Bible study or whatever it is. Um, just say that this never worked and now segue to the one who actually could say to the Lord, uh, everything the Lord has spoken, I will do. And that's Jesus Christ who gives himself the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So, um, in its context, these people meant what they said, but they couldn't do it, which is why this is not the last chapter of the Bible. 
Anything else that you'd want to add to that, Jake? Well, no, it's just amazing. I mean, literally right after they get this law, this is the prelude to the law, but uh, the postlude to the law is Moses goes on up back to the mountain to be with God and they worry, and then they build a golden calf. Right. And, uh, and it's amazing when God's like, I'm going to cruise down there and um, I'm going to destroy all of them. And I'm going to start a new people with you, yeah. a.k.a. I'm still faithful to my plans uh, by starting with you. But um, Moses, it's interesting, doesn't say, hey, remember the covenant you made with me. He appeals, he says, remember the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, remember that uh, the justification by faith. And uh, really this moves us right into Romans Ooh, chapter 5. Can I get five, a little spicy, though, before the segue? Uh, just, yeah, just, sure, just man. A touch. Uh, it already happened. I know. But, not like... No, uh, <laughs> just kidding. What happened? You go for um, it. Not, not like ghost pepper or Carolina Reaper spicy, just sort of maybe like a milder jalapeno. Just to note that um, when people want... There's a big... I live in Texas. There's a big debate right now about putting the Ten Commandments up and public places. And that's something that comes up every few years, I think. And I was actually just visiting somebody it's a today. Little, it's a little hotter than jalapenos. And I saw it in I an office. It. But Go well, for I'm just it. saying, like, just know that in the Bible, if you want to be a biblical Christian about it, <laughs> yep. the second you put the, the Ten Commandments in front of the people of Israel, they break like the most important uh, ones, the first two. Yep. And I, I just think it's, I, I do wonder what people are thinking when they think they're not putting up they those, don't know the Bible. When they think putting up those laws they're is going to influence people, it really just provokes reaction against it. If if all we needed 100%. was somebody to tell us what to do, the world would be a perfect place because everybody's telling us what to do all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I would, Congratulations. I, would have, I would have core strength, and I would eat. I wouldn't have had that. Danish I had after my lunch. So yeah, uh, I always want to tell those people, congratulations. Uh, you've just implemented the ministry of death <laughs> in your public school and you've uh, welcomed and opened the door for Satanist clubs to join. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that amazing article about like the Satanists are like opening up their clubs everywhere. Yeah, where they like, are well, putting if you can do that I mean, religion in public. Yeah. Anyways, I'm not, but I'm not, I'm just saying like, anyway, I'm if, with you're, you. if you're not a Christian and you just want the Ten Commandments up there because you think they're a nice summary of uh, that part of human development. That'd be nice. That's interesting. But if you're a Christian, you should be sort of worried about putting the Ten Commandments <laughs> up because it never goes well for the people of God, scripturally speaking. Um, and mm-hmm. um, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment and fulfillment. end of the law. And so Come on. Uh, if you wanted to put something up uh, that would maybe encourage people, it would be something <laughs> like uh, um, God is love. Uh, which is what we read in First John, or yeah. um, or as Saint Paul says, Jesus Christ is the end of the law, and um, where the, where for those who believe, uh, yeah, and the Spirit of Christ brings freedom. So wherever the Spirit of Christ is, mm-hmm. there is freedom. So that's that's yeah. that's my spicy take. I don't think it's that spicy. I think from a Christian perspective, I think mm. it's you know it's Christian. It's, it's sort of <laughs> from a Christian's perspective, it's Christian. I don't know. And if that so, surprises uh, you, I'm like, well, um, you're welcome. Like, like you know, this is send us an email. Yeah, send an email. To Jacob <laughs> no, at hottakes.com. Yeah, that's right. But no, we come to Romans 5, which is what it's all about, and that is uh, being justified by faith. I mean, that's what Moses appeals to. He doesn't appeal to the law. We'll try harder. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll be better people. He goes, uh, He appeals to the God of Abraham, the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And that is a covenant because if you look at those men, they are scoundrels and mm-hmm. <laughs> they are justified by faith. Um, and so, um, but he says, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained access to this grace in which we stand. Uh, that's a very, very, that's a powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah, that's right. And I think about um, uh, the fact, though, at the beginning, uh, if you preach on this passage, and it is, and I highly recommend it, um, justified by faith is maybe not a phrase that many people in your congregation understand unless you go to Jacob Smith's church at Calvary St. George's in New York City, where you have been there for uh, like 17,000 years and everybody knows what this means. at many churches, folks... I'm taking that as a full-on compliment, It's a total compliment. It's amazing. <laughs> um, although even at your church, Jake, there are new yeah, people there's folks that who don't, don't know. Yeah. And, and it's just... And we, I think it's, you know, just a, like um, other words that mean the same thing or at least get in the neighborhood of its meaning are sort of totally accepted and have nothing left to prove. Um, that if you feel... Uh, if you have a relationship in your life where you feel like you can wear your sweatpants and be who you are, um, you are totally accepted by that person in an emotionally safe sort of space. That that sort of gets at this idea of being justified. Yes, it's a legal term, and I get it. But but basically, there's there's nothing. There's there's no beef against you. There's there's nothing you have to prove. There's nothing to earn. It's just this state of total acceptance and and being proved uh, accepted. Uh, you got into college, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, your college of choice. Um, and it's not because, and the by faith part means that you are, you are in this state, not because you've earned it or worked hard, but because mm-hmm. you have, you have just um, in trust accepted that this is what God has said about you. And which is why he's, and he goes on to say how this happens, because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, um, through whom we, so this, it's, Jesus is the one that gives us this new reality of where we stand in relationship to God. Uh, and um, and at the end of this passage, Paul explains it again. God proves his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is so scandalous and so awful. I think about all the time how we love the idea of grace. We love the idea of God being non-judgmental, um, except when we meet somebody we don't like. Like think about the people yeah. you actually don't like, people who you block on social media, and there, and there are plenty uh, people you avoid if you were to see them in the cereal aisle. Like there are lots of actual people you don't like and maybe for very good reason. But what the gospel does say is that God loves those people and you. And, mm. and it is for those people that God has died. Um, Christ has died for those people to be justified by faith. It is scandalous, it is offensive, because then you start, I mean, there's like the sins that we don't, you know, there's sins that we think are forgivable and sort of acceptable sins, but then there's the real bad ones. And I don't want those to be forgivable, but God apparently wants to forgive those. Doesn't mean there's no consequence, doesn't mean those aren't bad, etc. You know, it's another conversation. But for folks in the pews, you're loved because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's what this passage means. And the call of Christianity is not get cleaned up so God will like you, but this for while we were still weak, while we were still in our sins, while we were still not, you know, we had not accomplished anything on our vision board. None of our manifesting had worked out. We were at the bottom and that's when Christ died for us. And it's, it's just an yeah. amazing thing. It, it's the opposite of um, saving private Ryan, 
where at the end, That's spoiler right. alert, Tom Hanks dies and says to Robert Ryan, earn this. And what an awful burden to put on someone. And Christ <laughs> dies for us and says there's nothing left for you to earn. It's all done. Yeah, I think uh, it's important, though, you know, I really think when you're dealing with Paul and these topics in Romans, because they are they're, they are part of the Christian language. It's uh, This is an opportunity either in your sermon or like, you know, to, to kind of, I mean, try and, you know, do an illustration, but give them what this is, because people need to know what these these terms ultimately mean. And essentially what justified by faith means is that the very action of God that deals with the evil that we are, not just the evil that we do, but the very evil that we are. It says, having been justified, having been declared in a right relationship with God. And what Paul is doing right there is he's actually, I mean, these people want to, people want to talk about the prophetic tradition and preaching prophetically. You want to preach prophetically, de declare people justified by faith. Mm. Now, how is that connected to the prophetic tradition? Well, it's a declaration. So, you know, how are you righteous? Because the God who says, let there be light, says you are. And it's efficacious. What God declares to be is the greater reality. It's even greater than what you see. And uh, this is very important because you're going to have people like me and Aaron who mess it up all the time. And this is why St. Paul says is that the only reason why this is true is because it's all by grace. So when you fall, which you will, you have the hope which is made a reality by grace. God's grace never runs out. He doesn't say, dang it, you blew it again. No, God's reality of justification and declaring you righteous is greater than your reality of disobedience and messing it all up. You have objective reasons to doubt uh, your peace with God based oftentimes on what you see, whether it be a relationship or a thing that you're doing at your job, the little white lie, the way you're thinking about your kids. But more importantly, you have an objective reason to rest in peace. And that's because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. And this is what this peace is all about. The peace that God has realized through the shedding of his blood in Jesus Christ for you. And really, when you begin to understand that, you begin to understand that faith is not, for, a, for the Christian, faith is not a vague or abstract power. Uh, faith is not some sort of general sense of optimism. Rather, faith is a, and faith isn't an acceptable form of superstition. Faith for Saint Paul here in Romans is rooted in something outside of us. Faith is the gift that God gives us to connect us to Jesus Christ and His atoning work for you. And this is what gives us peace for the future and peace for the presence, so that we can, um, well, we can endure suffering. And suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, etc., etc., etc. Because hope in what Jesus has done never puts to shame. Yeah, and this is not a passage where you want to look at this verse about suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Uh, and make it into some sort of list of, you know, like a recipe no. to, to, to yeah. become a better Christian, like have the path of sanctification. Paul is simply just describing what actually is true, that as you are in Christ, <laughs> right. if you suffer, when you suffer, not if, but when you suffer, and he's writing to people who are suffering. This is why he says this. He's trying, trying to deal with the reality of suffering in the lives of Christians, because people are saying, wait, mm -hmm. I'm suffering. Why is that? I thought Jesus was going to make everything better. And 
uh, God loves me, so how could I be suffering? How could this be happening to me? And Paul is just describing what happens, that as you suffer, it will produce endurance, and endurance will produce character, and character will produce hope, because you'll see as you suffer and endure the faithfulness of God to you over and over. And of course, the greatest example is the death of God in Christ. And so that's why he says the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, given us. And he makes this, you know, you might think it's weird. Like, why does he then start talking about the death of Jesus? Because the death of Jesus for the ungodly is this example of where God can work in the dark. And so if you have hope in a hopeless situation, if you are suffering and enduring that suffering, and it seems like it's gone on too long, Paul says, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus on the cross and know that that is true. And this is why the guy that I listened to this morning on the daily podcast, this is we're recording on May 31st, happy um, feast day of the visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Jake. And uh, on this, this day, <laughs> and with that if you listen to the daily, there's an interview, or maybe it was yesterday, but it was a guy about talking about AI. Yeah, I think this was yesterday's actually. Um, artificial intelligence and the guy that sort of was called the godfather of AI Apparently, this was like a sidebar in this podcast. He had predicted that in five years, there'd be no more need for theologians. This guy's an atheist, and he thought that technology or humanity would advance at some point. They wouldn't need theologians anymore. And uh, I, I remember thinking, gosh, people are always going to need theologians. Not necessarily the academic kind, although we need those, but um, and not no, no, no shade on them. But a theologian is somebody who declares to people what is true about God. And, and that is the job of the preacher, to tell a, a word about God, theologos. God is the one who has died for the ungodly while they were weak, while we were yet sinners. So that's, uh, that's the proclamation. And uh, if, if you want to preach on that, uh, it, it, you'll be amazed what the Holy Spirit does um, as you tell people that they are justified by faith. Amen. Well, and with about four minutes left, what do you want to say about Matthew chapter 9? Uh, yeah, I think we have some room to talk about Jesus here. So Jesus is in his peripatetic ministry, meaning his walking around ministry. Ooh, I love it. And he's teaching. Um, and by the way, if you are an Episcopalian and you are using Rite 1 at the end of communion, the post-communion prayer, all these good deeds that thou hast prepared for us to walk in, that is from Ephesians, but it's the same word in Greek. Uh, although a little voice in my head says, maybe it's Philippians. I'll, I'll go check it later. But No, it's, it's Greek. It's yeah, Ephesians. All these good works that he has prepared that you should walk in. It is peripateo. It's the same word. This Jesus is walking around all the cities and villages. He's teaching. He's proclaiming the good news and curing. And I think there's a couple of things. You could talk about how Jesus sees people. That in itself is a whole sermon. He sees them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He does not see them as free agents, um, some sort of Nietzschean object of just... Uh, um, you know, lectures and, and inspiring speeches to, to make them um, try harder and be faster and stronger and all that. And, and uh, he sees people as harassed and helpless. He sees people more like um, not not being stronger and stronger for God in every, every day and every way, but um, like in the AA meetings, um, we saw that our life had become unmanageable and we were powerless to change it. That's how Jesus mm. views human beings. And if you see people like that, you can begin to see yourself like that in others. You begin to have compassion on yourself and others. And because you are, as we said in the beginning, the person who when you hear the law, you don't say, yes, we can. You say, Lord, have mercy on me. 
And this is the root of Jesus' compassion. Now, isn't this amazing? Because when you have someone cut you off in traffic, you don't say, gosh, they must be having a really rough day or so frustrated and angry, it's coming out in their desire to drive fast or maybe they're sick and they need to get to the emergency room or something. No, you don't see people as harassed and helpless. You see them as people with free will making bad choices and therefore you can be mad at them because they're free. And, and Jesus doesn't see them that way. He's, he doesn't see them as powerful or free. He sees them as harassment helpless. So that's one thing I would say. And that's just one verse. There's so much more we could say. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to take a little sip and uh, let Jake talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's a beautiful thing, I think, in, in who Jesus kind of calls. Um, yes. You know, uh, and, uh, and that's the important thing. It's not that these 12 men decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, but rather uh, Jesus, hold on, Jesus. What happened? There we go. I don't know. Uh, but Jesus, did you hear the sirens? No, I can't. I can't anyway, uh, uh, they'll come. So anyway, but uh, I lost what I said. Here we go. So Something he about calls Jesus. them. They don't, they don't choose Jesus. Uh, so he calls these guys and he gives them um, authority over unclean spirits and healed every disease and infirmity. And on one level, what's going on here is this is like an image. Uh, 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 Matthew's always tapping into Jewish imagery. And this is the new Joshua with the 12 tribes going into the land to take on the enemies of God's people, which is sin, death, and the devil. And so one thing you want to talk about is, once again, the miracles are never for the purpose of miracles, but for their, the confirming of who Jesus is and the message they're preaching. But this, this list of guys tells us something about the church as well, and when the church is at its best. The church, when it's at its best, is Jesus doing mission through a community of different types of individuals. You know, you got like Matthew the tax collector. I mean, this guy and Simon the zealot, these are natural born enemies. And you got a handful of uh, fishermen. It's, a, it's an incredibly diverse group. However, this is the important thing I think to remember. Places that always just talk about diversity for diversity's sake tend to be, uh, you know, well, tend to be the most homogenous places I've ever been to in my life. Um, it's, it's Christ and his gospel and his words, which creates the diversity around the gospel, because ultimately everyone needs this message. If you're emphasizing diversity, you're never going to get it. I mean, I have all sorts of, I have some spicy things to say about people who just talk about diversity, but I won't because uh, we'll lose a bunch of listeners. But what I am saying is that the gospel creates diversity because everyone needs it. The second thing that sticks out is the list uh, that Christianity is not about an individual show, you know what I mean? And so often much of America's churches today are about individual shows. And, uh, you know, there's that big Hillsong documentary. And it's really easy to just pick on them. But it's like even in the Episcopal Church, in whatever church, it can become about the individual show. And uh, that is not what this is about. The Christian faith is never meant to be lived alone. And finally, I think this is the most important thing and the most encouraging thing for preachers to think about. And as you're preparing your servant sermon, uh, throughout Matthew's gospel, you will see him look upon the crowds with total compassion. And uh, Jesus sends these guys out with his authority to preach, not to good people getting better, not the folks, you know, who are, you know, you know, just, just doing their best, hoping God will do the rest and need some life tips. But he sends these people out to the really, really hurting. And preacher, remember, that's what you're doing as you're preparing your sermon. That's what you're doing as you're listening to same old song. That's what you're doing 
when you're doing pastoral care or listening to the daily, you are prepared. God is preparing you to send you out to really, really hurting people, to give them the balm of Gilead and to remind them the good news. And it's not that you have authority over demons, but that your name and all the people you're preaching to by virtue of their baptisms, their names are written in the book of life as well. Uh, and then the final thing you would say, and this is if you include the parentheses verses, uh, is that Jesus' instructions to the disciples as he sends them out, the main emphasis is not on their own gift, talents, expertise, mm, wisdom, power, right. whatever they bring to the equation, their, their brand that they've built, their all that <laughs> stuff. It is about ha- being completely dependent on God. So again, just kind of harking back to the 12 steps. You know, you admit your life is powerless and your un, un um, your life is unmanageable and you're powerless to change it, and so you you came to believe that the, your higher power could actually do this, not you, but uh, someone else, someone else with a someone with a capital S, and uh, this is why he says when you go, don't take money, don't not even he's like very specific, gold, silver, or copper, like not even a penny. And don't take a bag of supplies, don't take backup underwear, like don't take anything. Um, like when I always pack, I always overpack because I'm like, oh, what if what if I get, I don't know, a bucket of water falls on me and I need an extra change of clothes. Like I always overpack. And he's like, don't do that. Just depend on God, depend on the people who, on the people you minister to to actually take you in. Don't give yourself a plan B or like, well, if nobody welcomes me, I'll go stay at the Motel 6. No, he says, don't take anything. Uh, and then he talks about getting arrested. And obviously Matthew's writing this as Christians are now a thing and not always popular with the Romans and sometimes getting arrested. So he, But he reminds them, again, don't. it's not about your preparation or your wise speeches. It's all about um, resting totally on God. And this is what f- the faith that Paul talked about in Romans earlier, like just trusting in not yourself but in God and knowing that you are loved, which if you want to know you're loved, look at the cross. But also, as you talked about, Jake, look at how Jesus calls calls these 12 disciples who are scoundrels and who weren't looking for God when they were called, um, but Jesus called them. So lots of grace through and through all these passages, and uh, and God bless you as you preach on uh on this Sunday, uh, June 18th, which at St. Albans Wicca, we'll be celebrating, observing St. Albans Day. And some of you will be observing Father's Day. But again, tread carefully on any sort of non-church holidays. And uh, um, just talk about the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Well, PTL, Aaron. I think that's a, that's a wrap. PTL. All right. Call the dogs. Uh, put out the fire. We're done. <laughs> All right. We'll see you soon. Somebody's looking, somebody cares Somebody wonders what you're doing today You know we crucified him, buried him But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away and yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production, and remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.